Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Lord, I pray that uh, you would hide your servant behind the cross and all my befuddledness, and I pray that you would shine forth. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that, as you promised, you would quicken your word to our hearts. I pray that you would examine our hearts this morning, and I pray that you would meet needs, and I pray that you would bring encouragement. And, Lord, I I pray that each one of us, myself included, that uh, we would uh, be different as we leave here because of your spirit and your word at work in our lives. And we'll just thank you and praise you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, your phone, uh, uh, a PDA, I think it's a PDA. That used to stand for personal display of affection, but I think it's a personal device. I don't know what, a Blackberry, you know, no one has a Blackberry anymore. Uh, Whatever you have, an iPad, uh, uh, Amazon, Kindle, or Fire, or whatever, uh, uh, we're going to go to the Word this morning, and we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, as we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want you to understand that in Paul's epistles and Paul's letters to the church and, and to certain Christians, that, that they're all pretty much the same in that the first two-thirds of the book is theological, and uh, the last third of the book is usually practical. So what we have is we have kind of the cognitive domain for two-thirds of the book over here, and then we have the effective domain for a third. Uh, we have two-thirds of the book teaching us about God and what God desires, and, uh, and then we have the last third of the book that tells us how that plays out in our daily life, how the rubber meets the road with what uh, has been taught in the Word. And so we find that First Thessalonians is no different. For instance, if you go to the book of Romans, Romans uh, uh, 1 through 11 is all theological. Verses 9 through 11, uh, chapters 9 through 11 uh, have to do with the nation of Israel, but it's how it fits into the theology of God. And then when you come to Romans 12 through uh, uh, 16, it deals with the practical application of what we have learned about salvation and sanctification in the first two-thirds of the book of Romans. Uh, first Thessalonians is quite similar. In the first three chapters, it's theological. It's talking about God and, and who God is, what God desires. And then in chapters 4 through 5, it gets very practical, and it tells us that because of who God is, what God is, what God desires, this is how we are to live it out. And then at the end, especially in light of God's uh, return and his coming back. Now, with that in mind, uh, uh, I want us to understand that 
this morning as we look at the first 12 verses of 1 Thessalonians 4, it's really telling us how we should uh, live in light of our understanding and relationship with the Most Holy God. And as we begin that, I want to start with just a few verses uh, regarding our salvation. Uh, The first verse is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. Uh, Many of you can uh, quote that by heart. It's a good one to commit to memory. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how many good works you you do. That will not get you into heaven. That will uh, not uh, uh, necessarily increase your standing with God. Uh, We are not saved by our works. We're saved by grace. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Our salvation is not of ourselves. Our salvation is by the Son. This is why in John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That is the very scripture that is on Billy Grimm's tombstone. That's what he was all about. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. Our salvation comes because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's not of ourselves. It's by faith in what Jesus has done for us through the love and the grace of the Father who gave his only begotten Son. But because the Father loved us so much and because of our understanding of salvation and what has been provided for us and and what it cost the Father, uh, we see that there, there is a fruit of our salvation. There is a result of our salvation. And in uh, James, the book of James, chapter 2, verse 20, it says, But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Because of the love of God, if we have experienced the love of God, there's going to be a love in us that causes us to want to walk in a way that pleases God, that that leads us to good works. Some of those good works are similar to James chapter 1, verse 27, where it says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God. And, And I want to pause there for a second. Uh, religion can be defined as man seeking God, okay? And so that does involve work, but we're never going to get there. You know the difference between Christianity and a religion? Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship, and it is God seeking man. It's God seeking us. But pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and the Father, is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep one stained, unstained by the world. So we're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to make a difference. Uh, uh, we're to be doing good works. We're, we're, we should be doing things for, for people who really can do nothing for us. Widows and orphans can't do much for us, can they? But he says, pure and undefiled religion is visiting the orphans and the widows and their distress. And so we see that because of his love, 
uh, we can love too. First John 4, 7, and I'll just read it for you. It has this to say. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Uh, two weeks ago, I was watching television. I don't watch a lot of uh, the major networks. I, I watch like Discovery Channel, History Channel, DYI, uh, sometimes House Hunters, uh, HGTV, that kind of stuff. And uh, two weeks ago, I was watching American Pickers uh, with Mike, and uh, it's normally Frank, but this time he was with his brother, Robbie. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say American Pickers? Okay. There are two guys from Iowa, LeClaire, Iowa. They go around uh, going through pe- people's attics and basements and junkyards and, and uh, paying for antiques, and then they take them back and sell them in their stores in Iowa and, uh, and Nashville. And they call it uh, hunting for rusty gold. Well, uh, I really found this program fascinating because all of a sudden there was a picture of Mount Garfield. And there were the orchards of Palisades, and and they were taking a left-hand turn. And they went to Lyle Nichols' house, and he's quite an artist. He's got art down on Main Street, and and they toured his art, and and they learned that Lyle's wife had uh, uh, passed away some years ago, and he just pours himself into his work to keep busy, and it kind of keeps him from thinking about it. And uh, and, uh, they, uh, they picked some really neat things there. They... They paid, I think it was $300 for, he goes around after they trim the orchards and picks up the twigs and the limbs. And have you ever seen these willow chairs that they make? Well, he made a chair out of uh, peach limbs, out of peach twigs. Uh, Where's Barry this morning? I saw Barry come in there, Barry. Barry, you have a gold mine just in your twigs, I'll tell you. He sold that chair to him, and, and, and Mike was glad to buy it for 300 bucks. $300. $300. And normally I think those twigs would go in a fire somewhere, you know. And, uh, and it was quite a thing to see. Well, only in television, they left Lyle Nichols' house, and all of a sudden they were over by Walsenburg, in between Walsenburg and Trinidad, at an old gold mining town that's now defunct. And they were picking with the son of a, of a dad. The dad had passed away. Uh, three years prior, and they were just going through the stuff that uh, he had hoarded, and uh, they were looking at some things, and and uh, and this young man uh, uh, was having kind of a hard time letting go of things. And uh, he teared up, and finally he said to him, he says, next to Jesus Christ, you have to understand my dad was the greatest man to ever walk this earth. Next thing I knew, I was blubbering (laughs) because my feeling is that I had a dad that next to Jesus Christ was the greatest man to walk this earth. I had the gift of an awesome father. Now, he passed away on June 23rd, 2007 of pancreatic cancer at 83 years of age. But uh, when he passed away, I knew that my dad loved me. I knew he was a man of honor. I knew that he was a man of integrity. Uh, my dad didn't uh, say a lot. Uh, my dad was kind of the polar opposite of me. Uh, my dad uh, looked like Paul Newman. Uh, I got my mother's thighs. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, my dad was quiet. And uh, 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 I'll, I'll tell you now, instead of later, we would uh, go deer hunting together the last 15 years of his life. And my dad would walk up to a four-strand barbed wire fence, grab the fence post. He'd jump over it. Then he would pick up the bottom wire so I could scoot through on my stomach. Uh, uh, my dad was just incredible. He he grew up on a farm in uh, Missouri. He uh, he was a, a gunner, a, a tail gunner in a Grumman Avenger, the same kind of plan, plane that uh, George Bush Sr. flew uh, in the Navy during World War II. And uh, and uh, he got out. He went to DU. Uh, over in Denver, and then he went to CU for his master's, and he became an aeronautical electronical engineer. He was instrumental in developing the Atlas missile. He was instrumental in things like uh, the Tomahawk cruise, which you still hear about, but I'm sure it's not my father's guidance system. Uh, it's progressed. Uh, but, but he was just an awesome man. He loved the Lord. He, he, he did a lot for the Lord. He always did it uh, quietly. Uh, my dad was awesome, and uh, I loved my dad, and my dad loved me. And you have to understand, because of how my dad loved me and the kind of guy he was, there wasn't anything that I wouldn't do for my dad. I was with my dad when he went into the presence of the Lord, and uh, although that was very difficult, I wouldn't have traded that for anything either. And And I tell you that to say that this is the kind of relationship that God wants us to have. He loves us so much that because of that amazing love, he wants us to love him in return. And out of that love comes actions that, uh, that, that speak well of who our father is. I, I always wanted to make my dad proud. And many times I would think, what would my dad think right now? Would my dad be pleased? There were times in my early youth where, where I was doing things that I knew that I shouldn't be doing, and I would hear sirens in the background. I think a psychologist would call that paranoia. <laughs> but you want to know what it was? It was my dad praying. It was my father praying for me. And I asked him when I got older, I said, Dad, I was kind of a wild child. I said, how did you handle all that? He says, I prayed a lot, Doug. He says, the Lord's reach is a lot longer than my reach will ever be. That's the kind of dad I had. And he loved me. And, and because he loved me, I love him. And that's what, uh, what, uh, <laughs> what uh, the, the Lord desires of us. Uh, then Monday night, same thing. I'm watching Main Cabin Masters. Any of you ever see that program? Uh, you should. Up in Maine, there's a lot of old cabins. They've been having camps for years. And, and the, this is a family that goes in and, and rehabs the cabins. And, and they were rehabbing a cabin for, uh, for uh, a, a son that uh, his father had left him the, the family camp. And uh, they put it all back in shape and so forth. And, and the son shows up and, uh, and he tears up on TV. And he says, I just have so many great memories with this cabin. He says, this is where my dad and I would deer hunt from. And uh, he said, I remember getting up at 4 a.m. in the morning and, and walking into the woods. And, and he began to share about the relationship with his dad. And uh, 
my dad and I, we had 30 acres of ground in northern Missouri for the last 15 years of his life. And, and we had a wonderful 1964 single-wide trailer with the original gold shag carpet. It had a bathroom. It had hot water. It had forced air hunting. It was a wonderful hunting spot because it was a trailer that no woman would set foot in. But the guys loved it. We had a microwave oven that was about the size of two of these chairs and, and weighed about 500 pounds. I think it was one of the first ones invented. And we never had to worry about it getting stolen. Uh, but it worked. And I think of all the years and times I had of hunting turkey with my dad and hunting white-tailed deer and the times we shared. And yes, even the times when he picked up the bottom wire of the fence so I could scoot through on my stomach. Uh, they are wonderful min uh, memories. Uh, like I said, there wasn't anything I wouldn't do for my dad because of the way that he loved me. And so we see that, that God's love is the same way because God loved us we can love. The, the relationship that we have with him allows us not only to love him, but to love others as well. Since we have been the benefactor of God's love, since, since we have received God's love, uh, we can extend that, hence, in doing good works. So good works is a fruit of our salvation. Good works doesn't get us anywhere with God, but because God loved us so much and we love him, there's, there's this attitude that, that we want to do things that please him. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as we look at it uh, down through verse 12 this morning, uh, it's going to cover four Greek words of love. There are actually six Greek words for love. We usually hear about three, uh, phileo, eros, and agape. But we're going to look at four this morning as we kind of go through the Greek vocabulary. And, uh, and we're going to see how God's love is to play out in our life. Notice 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 2. It says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know the commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. These first two verses talk about growing in Christ. It's the Greek word pragma. Uh, maybe that's where we get pragmatic from. But uh, pragma speaks of a long-standing, growing love. And if you read uh, uh, the Greek dictionary regarding it, it says a love like an old married couple. Hmm, that's an interesting kind of love. Now, Peggy and I uh, have been married 48 years. Our next anniversary will be 49. I dated her six years <laughs> before we got married. <laughs> uh, she was my high school sweetheart. And I can honestly say I love her more today than I loved her in the beginning. And I loved her, at least I thought I loved her a lot in the beginning, but as we have grown older together, I still don't want to say we're an old married couple, <laughs> okay? Uh, uh, but we've been together a long time, and we're married. She can read my mind. I can read her mind 
Like I said, when I was up on the roof this week, I heard her voice in the back of my mind the whole time. And I knew exactly what she would be saying. (laughs) Uh, But I defied it anyway, because she wasn't there. Now, if she would have been there, I would have obeyed, okay? But she wasn't there, so I went ahead because I wanted to do this gift for her of a rain barrel, a functioning rain barrel, when she gets home. You know, a rain barrel doesn't do you any good if there's not a gutter running into it. You realize that, right? The rain just falls all around it. And so, so it's, it's like an old married couple uh, with Jesus. We, we should get where we, we know his voice. We know what he's going to say before he says it. We know how he's going to say it. We, we know his mannerisms. We, we, uh, we know how, uh, how he starts a sentence. Uh, we know that special look. You know the look I'm talking about? Okay. There's looks of love. And there's also something in Hawaii we call the stink eye. You ever get the stink eye from your spouse? Uh, If you've been married long enough, you probably have, and you know what that looks like. And so uh, uh, it's, it's, he wants us to grow in Christ. That's, that's one of the good works he wants. He wants us to have this kind of love like with an old married couple. He wants us to live in a blessable position. You know, it's kind of a trite phrase to say, God bless America. And I have to wrestle sometimes with, uh, well, what are we doing that God really wants to bless? You know, we've taken Bible out of school. We've taken prayer out of school. We've taken Bible out of things. We've taken, uh, 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 we've taken God out of just about everything. And yet we'll still say, God bless America. I think if we want to know the blessings of God, we need to be growing in our understanding and our love for God. And, uh, and we need to be showing Christ-like love, like an old married couple. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's how God wants us to go. Remember that the second commandment in Matthew 22 after you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, is that you shall love your neighbor like yourself. He wants us to be growing in that kind of love. And so we see that in verses 1 and 2. Now, we come to the Greek word eros in uh, verses 3 through 8, and this has to do with physical love. This has to do with sexual love and sexual purity. In beginning of verse 3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification means being set apart for a holy purpose. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles, who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in a manner because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we also told you before, solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he rejects this, who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives us the Holy Spirit. I want us to understand here first the aspect of sanctification. You see, a wonderful thing happens at salvation. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we read in John chapter 3, verse 5, and I'm getting there. It says, 
Jesus answered and said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, when we come to know Jesus Christ and we are saved, we're not only born of of water, such as water baptism, but in the flesh we're born of water. In order to get born, the water has to break, right? And we're born into life. Then we have to be born of the Spirit. And then there's the aspect of water baptism. Now, water baptism doesn't save us, but water baptism is like a wedding ring. I hold up my wedding ring. It tells everyone that I'm married to Peggy. You go under the waters in baptism and raised a new creature in Jesus Christ, you've just testified to the fact to everyone around you that you belong to Jesus Christ and you're one of his. It's like the wedding ring of the ceremony. This wedding ring doesn't make me married. It just tells everybody that I am married. And so with water baptism. But at that moment of salvation, We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. This is why Scripture says that we are the temple of God. No longer does he dwell in earthly temples, but he dwells in humanly temples. You, if we receive him, his spirit dwells in us. We are indwelt by him. In fact, Peter, when people ask how to be saved on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.38, had this to say. It says, Peter said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, I can take a bucket of rocks, and I can fill it with water, and that bucket is indwelt with water. But if I reach in and I take those rocks out, what happens to the water level? Yeah, it goes down. It goes down. And so I have to add more water. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, uh, has a wonderful track out there called Spiritual Breathing. And he says when we exhale... We get rid of the rocks in the bucket. We exhale in asking for forgiveness for the sins that creep into our heart and life. And what does 1 John 1, 9 say? If I will confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me all unrighteousness, right? So all I have to do is breathe out. All I have to do is confess the stuff that I've allowed to creep in, and and that's taken out, and the water level goes down, and then he says when we inhale, it's when we appropriate by faith the fullness of his Holy Spirit, which he desires for our life. And we operate in the fullness of that. Now, in that track, uh, Bill Bright had two examples. Uh, uh, he had big circles, and, and uh, he had chairs or thrones in those circles. And in one, there was a big S on the, the throne, and that stood for self, a carnal Christian. Yes, we're indwelt by the Spirit, but we're not living in the fullness of the Spirit. We're, we're living the way Doug Grogan wants to live, Okay. 
In the other circle, he had a throne, a chair, and there was a cross on that. And that was a picture of when, when we get, get rid of the sin, we, we die to self, and, and we allow the Holy Spirit to be light, leading and guiding us in the fullness of his spirit. And he called it spiritual breathing. I remember, and yes, you're going to laugh at this, of surfing in Hawaii. I surfed in California too, but the best was in Hawaii. And sometimes you'd go over the falls and you'd be sucked under and you'd be fighting to get your way to the top. And and then you'd get to the top and it'd be all foam and you'd have to wait for the foam to dissipate. And finally you'd take a breath. You thought your lungs were going to bust. But oh, that air felt so good. And it filled your lungs. And that's really how the Lord wants us to be about the Spirit of God. And in Ephesians 5.18, he puts it this way. For in Ephesians 5.18, it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Now, Scripture teaches temperance, not abstinence. I mean, Jesus did turn the water into wine. But drunkenness in Scripture is always a sin. Anything that we give our will over to and allow it to control our will, where we're no longer in control, that is a sin. And so he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Be filled with the Spirit. And that is written in the perfect tense in the Greek, which means and keep on being filled, keep on being filled, keep on being filled. The Spirit is our power to live the Christian life. If you want power in your automobile, even if you have a hybrid, you have to put gas in it. And in every gas, uh, every car, there's, there's a gauge that tells you how much gas you have left, right? You know when it's full, don't you? That's the minute you leave the gas station. Because the minute you leave the gas station, the needle starts to go down. <laughs> okay? So, so this being filled with the Spirit is not like a one-time shot thing. Being indwelt by the Spirit is. But being filled is continual. And, and we need to spend time before the Lord and search our heart and, and get the rocks out of our lives and, 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 and appropriate his fullness for Christian living. Now, if, if we, uh, uh, we want to know what, uh, what uh, uh, the rocks are, uh, then uh, uh, we have to go to Galatians 5, 6. And I'm going to save that for just a second because just like the first service, I got ahead of myself. But in sanctification, we are to practice sexual purity. I want us to understand God's plan for sex in our lives. And we go all the way back to the beginning to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where it says, God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. And then over in chapter 2 of Genesis, he has this to say. Uh, we find that uh, Adam was lonely. Adam desired a helpmate. And uh, it says in Genesis two twenty-two, Then the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. Uh, some Bible scholars say that God didn't take a bone out of the skull that the woman would lord it over the man, nor did he take a bone out of the foot that the man would tread on the woman, but uh, he took a bone out of the rib that they'd stand side by side as helpmates. 
And he brought Eve to Adam, and Adam wrote the very first rock and roll song in history. Because if you look at Scripture, it says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Wow Man, because she was taken out of man. Now, over the years, we dropped the W and made it woman, but, but, but I'm sure he said Wow Man. Now, can you hear that as a rock and roll song? Can you hear those, those drums beating? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Huh? Does it catch on? I, I think maybe Credence Clearwater Revival could have done that, you know? And, and Adam wrote it. He was excited by what he saw. And then it says in verse 24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. You see, there's a formula there, and this is the formula for sexual purity. The formula is simply this. We leave mom and dad. <laughs> I know some of you wish that would happen, but, uh, but, but, but the plan is that we would leave mom and dad. We would step out from mom and dad, that we would cleave to our spouse, that is the marriage ceremony where we declare before God, before family, and before friends that we take one another till death do us part. You see, marriage is a holy thing for God. And so the ceremony, and then it says we become one flesh. The sexual aspect of marriage, the physical aspect, the eros of marriage. And that is God's desire for sexual purity. Now, let's go back to these stones, Galatians chapter 5, these things that we can let creep into our lives. In Galatians 5.16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. Now we'll go on from there. But immorality is basically any kind of uh, sexual love outside of marriage. Uh, impurity, I think, has to do with impure thoughts. And I really think guys wrestle with that more than gals. And then we come to sensuality. <laughs> and I think gals wrestle more with that than uh, guys. I'll just simply say modesty is always in good taste. You know, don't, don't, don't. Don't cause those guys to stumble with impure thoughts. And that's easily taken care of. Now he goes on. He says, uh, The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with his passions and its desires. Part of sanctification is getting the rocks out. 
I don't care who you are, those rocks creep in. They do. Someone cuts you off in traffic, you get angry. You know, while I was going through those forms yesterday, three times I got phone calls that, from the IRS that I was going to jail. And they were all from the East Coast. And they were robocalls. I didn't say it out loud, but I felt in my heart, go to, and it wasn't heaven. <laughs> I had to confess that. I had to deal with that. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, got, I got angry. I don't care who we are. These stones, these stones, they creep in. We need to confess them and get them out as soon as we're aware of them and allow him to fill us afresh and anew with his Holy Spirit simply by asking for it. And it's his will uh, to, to fill us. Uh, indwelt at salvation, filled when we confess, spiritual breathing. As you exhale, you confess. As you inhale, you appropriate by faith the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, he takes us uh, to... Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, to, to brotherly love. He wants us to hold marriage in honor. And then in First Thessalonians 4, as we look at verses uh, 9 through 10, he simply says, Now, as to the love of brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught uh, by God to love one another, for indeed you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. We are to grow in love for the brethren. Remember the second commandment, Second Corinthians twenty two thirty nine, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew seven twelve, we are told these words where Jesus says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way that you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the second great commandment that you love your brother. And this is philia or phileo. Uh, We have the city Philadelphia, which means the city of brotherly love. And uh, uh, part of uh, being a recipient of the love of Jesus Christ is to love others around us. And, uh, and, uh, And if we listen to the Spirit, there will be all kinds of promptings. Sometimes God will prompt you to give something to that person standing on the corner. Sometimes God will prompt you to give something to, to a mission agency and a mission group. Sometimes God will prompt you in a service station to pay for somebody's gas. Sometimes God will prompt you to pay it forward in a manner that you're unaware of at the time, but you hear the prompting and go, God, this, this happened to me last Sunday. Uh, I was going through Starbucks in Clifton, and I was in one of those star reward things, you know. All I needed was a Tivana tea to get 150 bonus stars. So I was stopping off before I went up to Mesa. There's no Starbucks up there, okay? And I was going to get my 150 stars. And, and I order my just a tall Tivana tea. I, I really don't like the green tea. Uh, but, but for 150 stars, I'll, I'll drink it, okay? No syrup, though, just the tea, okay? So I order it, and uh, I'm in my old beat-up truck that I got to go to work in. And, and a lady has a fancy car in front of me, and I pull up to the window, and the guy smiles at me, and he says, 
the lady in front of you just paid for your tea. <laughs> oh, she had been to church and she had been prompted and, and it was a great blessing and I received it. <laughs> but I had to go back around and get in line and buy another one of those teas that I really don't like. <laughs> So I could get my 150 stars. Now pray for me. I maybe need to get rid of my Starbucks app, okay? But she was practicing brotherly love, and I was a recipient of. About three or four weeks ago, Peggy and I make the practice. We come down early. We go to Starbucks. We have a latte, and we have a bacon, egg, Gouda sandwich. And that's our breakfast on Sundays. We look forward to that. That's kind of our time before we come to church. And about four weeks ago, we were there, we had just ordered, and all of a sudden, uh, this flash comes through the door, it's calling clock, and he sticks his credit card in the machine, and he pays for our breakfast. I just kept thinking, I hope he knows what all we ordered. <laughs> I, I really felt bad, but he was following a prompting of the Spirit. We were, we were the recipients of it, we were blessed by it. But we need to listen to those promptings, brotherly love. And then the last one I want to share is simply cultural, and I'm going to make it quick because I want to end with a clip this morning. And uh, here in Grand Junction, I want to say the last two verses have to do with Cowboy Up. Do you know what Cowboy Up is? Uh, Felucia is the Greek word for it, and it means it's not a narcissistic kind of love, but it means taking care of yourself. It means as a cowboy, you'll take a bath at least once a month, okay? You take care of yourself. And here's the way it's put in 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, as we read it in verses uh, 11 and 12. And it simply says, uh, 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 I lost my place, and I will find it here momentarily because uh, I am in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, here we go. Uh, he simply says, uh, uh, we are to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as I have commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Doesn't that sound like a quiet cowboy? You know, he works with his hands. Uh, he takes care of himself. He meets his needs. And yes, he even takes a, a bath uh, once a month. If we turn over to Second Thessalonians chapter 3, the Thessalonians were having a hard time wrapping themselves around this, so uh, Paul writes them again, and in First Thessalonians 3, uh, uh, in verses, uh, uh, starting at verse 11, he says, For we hear that some of you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Mm. There's only one judge. Only one judge, and we are told that we should be about work, taking care of ourselves, leading a life that is an example to others at Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot more that I could say there, but I think I'll just simply say because of time, Second Corinthians 5.20. Know that we are ambassadors of Christ. I love watching funerals anymore. I enjoyed Barbara Bush's and I enjoyed Billy Graham's. And I liked when they brought Billy Graham to the, to the rotunda of the Capitol. Remember the first three letters of funeral are F-U-N, right? Fun. 
They're kind of like high school reunions when you get old enough. <laughs> you just realize there aren't so many from the class still around. Uh, but, but when they put Billy Graham in the rotunda, Mitch McConnell spoke, and then Paul Ryan, and Paul Ryan came to the microphone, and he said, here lies Billy Graham, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. What a great thing to have said about you. Don't you agree? Okay. Now, we've talked about what God would like us to be like and what he would like us to do. What I want to end with this morning is something for you to chew on. And it's a short message by Brennan Manning. Brennan Manning wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel. I think the best book he wrote is entitled Abba's Child. It was written here in Colorado while he was on a retreat. Brennan Manning is with the Lord now. But Brennan Manning, not, not the last life conference for the Alliance, but the three previous to that, was a speaker at each one of our life conferences. I'm going to warn you, Brennan Manning is raw. But please take the time, listen to him, It'll give you something to chew on, and then we will close. Okay? I'm the one that Jesus loves. Put your ass in a seat. The single greatest cause of atheism today is Christians, those who profess Jesus with their mouths, yet deny him with their lifestyles. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now, you may think I'm referring to Jim, Pastor Mark's kid. After all, he claims to be a Christian. But just let's look at what he did. He knocked up his girlfriend and then abandoned both her and the baby. Now, before Jim says a word, if he chooses to, I want to tell you about my initial encounter with this broken yet bold young man. From the day we first met, Jim shared with me his gift of vulnerability. There was no extinguishing his transparency. Trust me, I tried. But as a result of Jim figuratively and almost literally crashing into my life, my heart has been ravished by his scorching honesty and humble spirit. I strongly sense that Jim's story will someday reveal how moral failures often lead to spiritual transformation. Yet I understand that some of you are disgusted and angry because of the heartache that Jim has caused you and his dad, your pastor. So for that reason, my brother Jim was asked to come here today to publicly apologize for his moral failures and to ask your forgiveness. But let's be honest. He's here for a public stoning. Not the kind of stones that break your flesh and bones, but the socially acceptable kind. The type of stones that modern Christians use are rightly called shame, humiliation, and hatred. But please, folks, trust me. Jim's not as bad as you think. 
He's much worse. But I can also assure you, he's not worse than me. So let me ask you this. What makes you lovable in the eyes of God? What makes Brennan Manning lovable in the eyes of God? Because 49 years ago, I committed my life to Jesus. Does God love me because I've given the last 42 years of my life preaching the gospel of grace? Does God love me because I tithe to the poor? Does God love me because I spend two hours every day in prayer? Does God love me because I work with alcoholics, addicts, and those suffering from AIDS? If I believe that stuff, I'm a Pharisee. Brothers and sisters, the gospel of grace makes clear the truth that God loves us as we are, not as we should be, because none of us are as we should be. Not me, not you, not Jim, not even Pastor Mark. The idea that God loved me so deeply and unconditionally used to sound like sheer madness to me. And that's because it is. He loves in a manner that defies human comprehension and escapes human imitation. And that's why I can stand here tonight with rare theological certainty and with the power and authority of God's own words and proclaim God loves you as you are, not as you should be, because again, none of us are as we should be. So, do you believe God loves you? Most Christians say they do, but they don't. They believe God loves them in some vague, distant, abstract way. But they would be hard-pressed to say the essence of their life is a love affair and not a simple love affair, but what G.K. Chesterton called a furious love affair. Do you honestly believe that God loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain without caution, regret, boundary, limit, breaking point? No matter what's gone down, he can't stop loving you. I believe it. But I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I trust God with all my heart. But when I see 300,000 people wiped away in a tsunami in Southeast Asia, when I see a six-month-old baby ripped out of his mother's arms in a hurricane named Katrina, when I see a nine-year-old girl raped by a sex maniac or a four-year-old boy slaughtered by a drunken driver, I wonder if God exists. I trust him and get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty if I don't feel guilty. I'm wide open and I'm locked in. I'm trusting and suspicious. I'm honest and still play games. Aristotle said, I'm a rational animal. I say, I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. Take me or leave me. But that's the real Brennan. Do you remember how I said I'm worse than Jim? Not too long ago, I woke up in an alleyway in an alcoholic fog. If you had seen me that way, you might have said, don't look at that bum. All that is is pure filth. 
Yet that filth was Brennan Manning. Yet the Abba of Jesus loved me as much that morning in that state of disgrace as he does now in my present state of grace. For his love is never, never, never based on our performance, never conditioned by our moods of elation or depression. It knows no shadow, alteration, or change. The love of God and Christ Jesus, his Son, is reliable. My friends, this isn't something I read in a book or heard in a sermon. This is the Jesus of my own journey, the Son of Compassion. When I was ambushed by Jesus, in a small chapel in Loretto, Pennsylvania, in a community of the Little Brothers of Jesus in the south of France, in a Swiss prison, in a cave in the Zarahota Desert, in the eyes of a small boy, in eating ice cream, in a smile, in friendship. Jim asked me, he said, Brennan, do you really believe that God loves you as you are, not as you should be? Because none of us are as we should be. The truth is no, but I'm trying. My friends, this is not pious poetry. Jesus not only knows what hurts us, but knowing seeks us out whatever our poverty whatever our pain, his plea to his people right now. His promise to us is, come to me. Not to church, not to a Bible study, not to an annual conference, not to a movie, but you, come to me. Come to me as you are, whether you're celibate or you're promiscuous, whether you're married or whether you're single, whether you've had a baby out of wedlock or whether you've judged a guy that had a baby out of wedlock. Don't wait till you get your head on straight until you get your act together, till you're free of sin, selfishness, dishonesty, degraded love. But come now, wounded, frightened, angry, lonely, empty, depressed, tilting toward despair, and I'll meet you where you live, because I'm going to love you as you are, not as you should be. None of us are as we should be. As St. Francis of Assisi said to Brother Dominic as he was leaving Umbria, Bye. Brandon Manning's with the Lord now. He's raw, but he gives you a lot to chew on. As we close, in 1917, there was a hymn written by Frederick Lehman, a Jewish brother, entitled The Love of God. And he wrote the first two verses, the last verse he found on an asylum, in, an asylum, in an insane asylum cell. <clears throat> uh after the occupant had passed away. 
And this was what was written on the wall. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Think that person was insane? I think he came to Jesus just as he was. Just as we are. Not as we should be. But Jesus begins this wonderful love affair that causes us to grow in love. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would cause us to chew on these things as we leave. I pray that you would give us opportunities this week to manifest the love of God. I pray, Lord, that we would not shield you or keep you from our hearts and the innermost parts of our life, realizing that you love us with a perfect love, just as we are. Lord, help us to grow in that relationship. And we'll thank you and praise you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.